Hi, everybody. Boy, another week went by here. It's Rick Whitener getting it right on Kansas EKGLN. We appreciate your listenership. I have, I, I, your ears aren't confusing you. I decided to start with a different entry bumper this week. I, I felt like maybe we were getting a little too stale having the same one with the helicopters and uh, the ride of the Valkyries, which, by the way, I like really a lot. But uh, I still mix it up a little bit, I thought, so I'm going to start doing that again. So I hope everybody had a good week. It hasn't been a good week for a lot of people out there. It hasn't been a good week for a long time for poor President Trump. He's had nothing but lawfare, as we like to call it now, engaged on him. But those of you that watched this testimony, when was it on Thursday, with uh, Fannie Willis. Yes, Fannie Willis is the prosecutor down there in Atlanta. You probably saw some of this, if not heard a lot about it. Uh, she did not do a particularly good job, I have to say. She was a little bit uh, a little bit cross, I would say, about uh, her relationship with uh, Mr. Wade, who has absolutely no experience whatsoever in prosecuting any kind of case, uh, much less this case against Donald Trump, but was paid, what, over $600,000 to so far uh, to kind of get his teeth into it, you know? Part of that, of course, was uh, his visit to the Biden administration up there in... Uh, in Washington, D.C., because he had to go up there for, well, we don't know yet. It'd be interesting to know, isn't it? Uh, or wouldn't it be, rather? He's very, uh, very tight-lipped on that. Now, I would like to know why they spent several hours at the White House over a couple of times with the prosecutor down in Georgia who was bringing a case against Donald Trump. Now, call me a little paranoid. But I think there might be a connection. Yeah, I'm just saying. The use of the courts now against political opponents is worse than I ever imagined it would be. I mean, it's always been a little bit of it out there, but this is just, it's unbelievable. And it's spread not only to Donald Trump, but to all over the place. And I wanted to talk a little bit, this segment, about Mark Stein. Many of you will recognize his name. Mark Stein has been on... Television a fair amount. He was on Fox quite a bit. And usually he was on Tucker Carlson. Mark Stein is a Canadian Brit. He's uh, from Britain, has lived in Canada for a really long time. Now he lives in New Hampshire. And he has been a, a really smart and witty writer for a long time. And if you've seen his interviews, you'll know just how much wit the man has. And he's very bright as well. And so he has been embroiled. He, by the way, he's written a couple of books. You might have seen one of them's called After America. Another one's called Lights Out. Uh, very good books, by the way. But he had written a piece. This is 12 years, this, this case that he was involved, has been involved in. This lawsuit has been going for 12 years. He wrote a piece criticizing Michael Mann, who is a individual, uh, is a climate scientist. So Michael Mann's been suing him for 12 years. It finally went to trial. And, of course, where? Why, Washington, D.C., where the jury is so friendly to people that have different opinions, particularly those that might be construed as somewhat conservative. Mark Stein, you might guess, thought that the data and the conclusions that Mr. Mann reached were a little iffy and talked about that. Mr. Mann then brought a lawsuit for defaming him, and it's been dragging on this long just now. Just now. Went to trial. Now, the way it comes up, and I'm going to quote here from a, a very good article in American Thinker, that uh, 
Mann was one of the authors of a 1999 uh, paper that were using tree ring data uh, so they could determine temperatures, thicker rings, warmer temperatures, stuff like that. And he tried to stretch that over a thousand years. A thousand years. And he said that the, that the temperatures declined slightly until 1960 when they dramatically jumped up, right? And that, that jump up is what's called the, people call it the hockey stick, right? Because it's fairly flat and at the end it starts going up at like a, you know, 45 degree angle. A little more than that, actually. There are many people who didn't agree with that. And one of them was Mark Stein. Another one were other scientists, right? Now, this this report got picked up and was found to be very instrumental in what the uh, United Nations, the international climate the community, all this kind of, to justify a lot of these ideas about climate. Because it had this outsized effect, really, Stein wrote about it, and he's not the only one that had a problem with it. I mean, here they, here they quote uh, Stephen McIntyre, an Oxford-educated PhD in mathematics, uh, and he said, uh, "Man's result lacks statistical insig- last statistically significance." I don't think that's quite good language. And worse, he showed that man's data manipulation is so strong that a hockey stick is nearly always generated from trendless red noise. Response: I guess uh, Mr. Mann called to him, and according to this article. Uh, a number of names, some of which I cannot repeat on the radio and have no, in, no intention of repeating them because I don't like the way they sound. He was not a nice man. There were also a couple of other people that uh, were very well qualified that thought his case was not well made. We are talking, remember, about fairly minuscule changes in temperature as far as human perception goes, a degree or two Celsius. So... Just off the top of my head, I would say that trying to use tree ring data for a thousand years to show something like that is right away problematic. But people were so anxious to get some data to support their idea about climate change and how they could use that data to gain control over pretty much everything. That seemed to just slide under the door. No one seemed to care about that. So he sued good old Mark Stein. Now, Mark Stein, and if you're interested in him, you can always Google him, or he has a great site called Stein Online. He spells his name S-T-E-Y-N. So it's Mark Stein, S-T-E-Y-N. And uh, about this trial, and it's got a lot of other really good things on it. Actually, there's two or three things I always I like to get on there and read. The movie reviews from a guy on there are just great. And uh, he talks about old cinema and stuff. And, I mean, the, everybody that writes on there is is. A, Exceptionally good writer. Anyway, he has suffered uh, two heart attacks last year, uh, one of them on the air uh, in Great Britain, and so he's not in the best of shape. Uh, and yet he was in this courtroom, and he was defending himself with the assistance of an attorney and did his own questioning and his and also did his own closing argument. And some of the things that uh, Mr. Mann asserted were, had damaged him somehow don't make a lot of sense in terms of getting damages out of. Uh, for instance, and this is one I, I looked at, uh man testified that he was the victim of a mean look while shopping in uh, one of the, a store. Stein said, and this is a quote from Stein's closing, he said that uh, he told you about a traumatizing experience in aisle nine of his local supermarket, so traumatizing that he remembers it 12 years later. We don't rather the guy gave him a mean look, as he put it, did so because he read, you know, read something or because man cut him off the parking lot. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that was being drug out against him, right? 
Now, this is essentially a free speech case. This is about a person disagreeing and saying that someone's data is not representative of what it purports to be. It's done in a very effective way by Mark Stein and a humorous way, which lots of times is the best way to get something across. And so this guy didn't like it. And, of course, since Mr. Stein is a conservative, he really didn't like it. So they've been hectoring him for this time. Now, when you read through this, and I'm going to have time to go through it, but if, if you're interested, you should look up something about the lawsuit there. This defamation lawsuit. Remember, Trump's case in New York with E. Jean Carroll is a defamation case. Tens of millions of dollars in award there with little foundation. And in this case, Mark Stein did what I, as I was following it, made a tremendous showing of that what he was saying was his opinion, that there was, you know, it was well-founded, all these things. It wasn't defamation and that he really did no damages. And so they, they awarded him, the jury in Washington DC said that, uh, gave him one dollar in compensatory damages, Mr. Mann, but gave him a million dollars in punitive damages. So essentially what they've done is punished Mark Stein for free speech. We need to think about these kinds of things. All right, folks, I'm back. Thanks for sticking around. Rick Wagner here, getting it right on KGLN, KNZZ, all over the Internet and uh, in our podcasts that you can get simply by asking for them if you have an, uh, an Alexa device or I believe if you can do the same on a Google device. And I believe we're on Spotify and a few things like that in case you missed a show or you just want to listen to something else that we've done uh, in the past. Most of them are some shows we've turned into podcasts, so feel free to do that. And uh, if anybody else wants to listen, we appreciate it. We also appreciate our listenership online during the show. So once again, and before I forget, you can contact me by email at rickwagner, common spelling, W-A-G-N-E-R, just one word, rickwagner, at mail.com. I read all of them. I not able to respond to all of them, but I do read them. So thank you so much for doing that, and I want to make sure I get that out. Getting back to Mark Stein, this is an incredibly important case because Mark Stein is a commentator, but not excessively well-known or a big celebrity or things like that. But he's been hounded by these people, and apparently the plaintiffs in this case, attorneys are being paid for by someone else. This is what comes out in some of these articles. And to get a million dollar in punitive damages, what what exactly damage did he do? When you look at this case, uh, he the person cannot demonstrate any to me actual damages. He didn't lose any money. I mean, you know, it's ridiculous. Just and that's just my view that he would get awarded this. And Mark Stein, of course, is now on the hook for this. Now there'll be some appeals and this and that, and we'll see how that ends up. But this dragging people into these courts and places where the juries seem to be very against them on philosophical grounds, Washington, D.C. and New York, particularly, ask uh, President Trump on that, uh, has gotten out of hand. I, I think in the past we always felt like that people were people. And if they were of sound mind and moral fiber, it didn't matter very much anyway what their political leaning were. They weren't going to punish you because they disagreed with your politics. It doesn't seem to be happening now. It's incredibly dangerous 
to not our democracy like the Democrats like to say, but our constitutional republic. It's incredibly dangerous to the fabric that holds everybody together. That's incredibly foolish, too. You have to be really careful about curtailing too much speech because then you don't know what people are thinking. That's a bad thing for everybody. Also, when you curtail speech, you curtail the opportunity for people to have themselves heard in a way that can make changes in the nation and the way things are done that reflect the will of the people. So when you restrict speech, I think what you're really saying is whoever is trying to do it, we don't care about the will of the people. We don't want to hear it. We're going to only want to hear what we say echoed back from to us. When you think about that in terms of your government, it doesn't sound a lot like the America that we thought we lived in. And when you punish people with these big jury verdicts and you find friendly courts to drag them into, not friendly to them, friendly to you, and this whole concept of working within a system where you put your personal prejudices, at least to the large extent, aside and hear something on the facts and then the law as it's submitted to you, that feels like it's slipping away. And this is this is just one case that I, I think is very important because this is someone who is making an opinion. Now, not only did he make the opinion, he also wrote a book. What's the title of the book here? Uh, a disgrace to the profession. The world scientists, in their own words, on Michael Mann, his hockey stick, and the damage to science. That, according to the article here. That book has also disappeared from Mark Stein's Wikipedia entry. If you go to, you know, Wikipedia has a little thing about Mark Stein. And as we all know, Wikipedia is edited by people online. Well, it gives you some idea. People are online a lot. Generally are people that are, you know, leaning to the left side of things more to the right. So that title of that book's actually been removed from his Wikipedia reference. Just the title of it. They don't, who, whoever's doing this doesn't even want you to know that he wrote a book like that. Or have access to it, apparently. That's just staggeringly shocking when you start putting it in context. And it's going on all around us. And I I don't see how we get out of it very quickly. Because it's a joint effort, isn't it? It is the administrative state. It is a political party almost a religion at this point, certainly with climate change, and urban areas that have apparently abandoned the rule of law. Now, they can give someone a million dollars because Mark Stein said something they didn't like, and yet they can't put anybody in jail for beating people, shooting people, carjacking people, running businesses off an endless array of shoplifting and theft. and That kind of law, apparently, is too much trouble. Now, this kind, dragging Mike Stein into court or President Trump or something in places where people clearly do not like them and have now decided that they don't have to put those prejudices aside and they're just going to work from that point of view. In other words, what they think about the person not what they think about the case. And when you when you think that through about how that works in jurisprudence, it really kind of shakes you to the bone because a certain person 
should not be thought guilty as a crime simply because of who they are, but rather what they did. That seems to have slipped away here. I don't know. It's very troubling. I just want to make you guys aware of that. It's something to just think about. Like I keep saying on the show here and that the two pillars that hold up the constitutional democracy are faith in the justice system, that it's right most of the time, and that the electoral system, your vote counts. We all know there's some monkey business. There's always been some monkey business. But for the most part, your vote is going to count properly and the justice system is going to operate properly. Within the last, certainly within the last three years, the wheels have come off both those ideas very prominently. I don't see how you hold a constitutional republic together with the kind of lapses that we now have in terms of our ability to have some sort of confidence in those institutions. I don't think any country can really do that. Well, a country that can do that, it can do it for a while. They become, you know, an autocracy, a dictatorship, tyrannical government. They tell people what to think and they force them to, you know, parrot it back to them. These kinds of countries don't usually last for a particularly long period of time, but they certainly last long enough to punish a lot of people that are living in them. Remember when we look at history, we're always saying things, well, you know, and this happened and that happened, and you look at, yeah, well, it sounds like it's close together, but there's like 80 years between these two events. In the meantime, real people suffered mightily until things got straightened out. And this is what I worry about. I do think that you can right the ship. I just worry about how difficult that is. And the damage gets done when you're trying to do it. Offhand, I don't know where to start on this stuff, I might add, as well. We're in an area where I I don't know where you go. I think the only real solution is, of course, political, and that is to get the right people, or better people, into elected offices. To do that, we've got to have some kind of fair election process, and a lot of people don't believe that we have one. And I get a little concerned myself sometimes when you look at these things. Uh, And there shouldn't be anything wrong with scrutiny of your election system. It should not be a thought of as a crazy idea because you want a little transparency there. You'd like to see how the wheels are working. I mean, nobody likes a situation where they take a box full of votes in and something happens and they come out 10 or 15 minutes later until your next day or whatever the case may be and tell you who won. That starts seeming a little repressive to people when they don't have access to, well, what's going on? How did they get counted? And you threw some votes out. Why? Where, what are they? You know, you just, now in the past, we've really gotten stymied by an effective and true argument is that we can't identify voters and who they voted for. Lord, I, I think at some point that, that may disappear. But anyway, so, There's only so much you can look into the voting patterns. But there's a lot of information that you have to have access to to make sure that people feel comfortable in their election rather than how they're run. Because that influences that justice system. You put the right people in charge of writing the laws, appointing judges, and doing that sort of thing, that is going to affect that. What we have now is an unnaturally long period of time where you've had very 
biased and I think not smart. Dunces is the word I might use. Uh, writing the laws and uh, manipulative, mm, high-handed. That's the best word I could say. I'm not going to say tyrannical or dictatorial. We'll just say high-handed people in the administrative state that, of course, are a lot smarter than us, so they know more, so they can interpret the, the bad laws even worse or just ignore them if they kind of get in the way. This just cannot go on. Okay, everybody, thanks for hanging on and listening to, uh, you know, me go on a little bit about these lawfare type things that seems to be leveled at more and more people who are conservative and not just Donald Trump, although I have to say that Donald Trump, I think, represents everybody else. And uh, like he said at one point, they're going after him, I'm paraphrasing, but they're really after you. It's beginning to feel like that. Now, I did see somebody sent me an email, you know, what I thought about the, what, 355 million dollar uh, fine that Trump got in New York and that he can't do business in New York anymore, which is going to be appealed. I don't know how much luck they'll have with that or how long it's going to take. I mean, it's getting very difficult to predict these things. Even when you look at the normal course of events and appeals and stays of things and this and that, it's uh, it's never the same for Donald Trump. And it's very uh, disturbing to see that. Anyway, I would say that there's very little justification for a $355 million fine, except that you don't like Donald Trump. And remember that nobody complained about this case. Remember, this is the one where uh, this is a total creation of Latita James, the state attorney general, who ran uh, essentially on a platform of, you know, getting attacking Trump. And she did. What she's saying is that he overvalued everything in his... Uh, repertoire there of properties to try and get better financing and insurance rates. But nobody complained. Nobody got stiffed, paid all his all of his loans back. Everybody got their money back, made the money they'd agreed to, the whole thing. And it's not even particularly unusual for people to sort of uh, boost their uh, net worth to see if they can uh, get a better rate. And so nobody complained. Until you get to this wacky judge and who just, I don't have to go back into it for you folks. You probably are familiar with it. Not a Trump fan. We all know the juries in this area, like we talked about earlier, not Trump fans or conservatives fans. And so this is, I don't know how better to say, it's just outrageous. And I know everybody says that, but it really is. It, it's something that just makes your head spin. And we've got a We've got to do something about this. We have to insist on some sort of parity in our justice system. I mean, I would say that all of this twisting of the justice system that we've been seeing is not turning us into a third world country. I would say we're turning into a third world country, and this is a symptom of that. The administrative state being armed, essentially, to uh, attack political rivals those that it disagrees with, cut information off from individuals, punish them for giving information out, like Mr. Stein. Some of the stuff doesn't even seem like it's a hard a hard decision when you're looking at the First Amendment. But apparently, uh, you know, that those are the old days, guys. I mean, that's back. 
who can understand the Constitution anymore? And those, those back in those old guys and they wrote that. Who can understand it? We just have to interpret it, you know. Plus, they were really bad guys, too, because, you know, there's a lot of things wrong with them. They were probably racists and sexist and misanthropes. And, I mean, you name it, it just it never stops. When they couldn't get their way in the Constitution, they've decided for the last five years, really, to attack the constitutional framers so that they can undermine the Constitution itself. They didn't have any luck doing it directly by going against what the Constitution said. Now they're going to say, well, it says that because it is just another type of, and you can fill in the blank, you hear it all the time. So I wanted to, uh, I just wanted to let you guys know, this is getting to be a real problem. And when I say that, I'm sure I sound like an idiot. Like, oh, really, Rick, you think that probably is a problem? We can never let this out of our mind. For instance, many people I talk to now have no interest in traveling to some of these places, not just because they are, you know, hell holes in some sense of crime and corruption and things like that, but because they know that if something happens there and they get in some kind of trouble or altercation, they're not certain that they're going to be treated fairly. So why expose yourself to that? It is not going. We are really self-separating in this country, and I don't know how it ends up. It's not a north-south, east-west thing. It is a mainly of the coasts and some of the interior big cities. Everything else is different. So trying to figure out where that's going to land, how that will manifest itself, we're still kind of guessing on that. But we have a, we have a constitutional republic. And we need to remember that to have a republic, you need to have some guardrails on it, and you need to protect yourself from the whims of the masses. And so I, I decided to uh, play here. Let's see if I can find it correctly. Yeah, here we go. This is Ayn Rand. Most of you know her from uh, Atlas Shrugged, The Fountainhead. You know, she has uh, quite a bit to say about rapacious government. And she's talking here, just a few minutes long, about why a republic is better than a pure democracy. You know, our democracy. Oh, our democracy. Let's see if I can get it. Well, because we have to define our concepts clearly. A democracy in the political meaning of the word, the original meaning defining a specific political system, means a country governed by unlimited majority rule. A democracy is a form of government in which the majority has the right to vote on anything and to pass any laws they see fit, the sole standard of legality being a majority vote that is counting of numbers. Democracy is incompatible with the Constitution because the principle there is that the sole standard of right or wrong in politics is a counting of noses, a majority rule. The best example of that system are the original city-states of Greece, where, if you remember, the majority had the right to vote a death sentence for a man if they disapproved of his ideas, and Socrates is the best example, most famous one, of what is wrong with the system of democracy. Socrates was condemned to death because the majority of the citizens found that his ideas were subversive to the use of Athens. 
and he refused to escape, though he had a chance. He declared that his fellow citizens were wrong in their decision, but they had the right to vote away his life, which is a ghastly example of the sanction of the victim and a perfect example of the nature of a democracy as a political system of government. Now, a republic, properly, is a system of government which is limited by the individual rights of men, which means that the majority may vote but only in a strictly limited and defined political sphere, and that the individual rights of men are not subject to majority vote, not to government legislation. All that the government can and should do in regard to rights is protect them, but government cannot infringe them. That is, in essence, the nature of a proper republic. Well, I haven't heard really a better explanation of that, frankly. You know, people say, oh, our democracy and our democracy, like, like somehow, oops, I'm going to have to turn uh, her down there. There we go. We have a democratic system of government in the sense that we vote, and the people derive their influence on government because it is their consent that allows the government to exist. And so that part of the democracy is what we think about. But we don't want, and you've all heard this a thousand times, we don't want a pure democracy. But the, but the Democrats do. I mean, at least now, when they think that they can, you know, get enough people to be on their side, enough uninformed, enough people that are living off a system instead of contributing to a system, you name it. So yeah, they're fine with that. And Ayn Rand's example is perfectly right. I mean, in a pure democracy, and it didn't work for beans in Athens. I mean, the idea, of citizen self-rule was born in Greece, Athens and a couple other city-states, which is great, and it, you know it's a foundation of our own society. But they tried different things, and direct democracy didn't work very well. And you can just ask Socrates. Well, you could, except that he's dead. And he'd probably be passed away anyway, given the time, but he left a little early by drinking hemlock because the citizens of Athens voted that he should. That's kind of the danger of a direct democracy. And there's really nothing that I could add to what uh, Ayn Rand had to say about that. So one thing she said I thought we should highlight is that the government's main job in a constitutional republic is not to give rights. Now, I'm, I'm inferring a little bit there. But their main job is to protect the rights, the natural rights of man. We can never say this enough because it gets thrown around all the time on the left in a way that they'd like to have you believe that the Constitution gives you rights. We know that's not true. The Constitution protects your rights from interference by the government unless there are certain conditions are met. That's the difference. And it's a mighty important one. And it's one that people on the left like to overlook all the time. Because they don't necessarily believe that you have natural rights. Now, they'll talk about natural rights. Oh, right to housing, right to health care, this and that. But you don't have any right to have input into your political system. It's very hard to let them say, to get them to say that, you know, people that they disagree with should participate in the political system. That's how bad it's got. Or become, rather. So... There's that. Now, we're talking about 
constitutional rights a little bit here, and I just I wanted to get on something that well we have to talk about. You know, I, I I'm always saying we don't get information out about what legislatures are doing until they've pretty much done it. This is what they've decided the best way to do it. Don't fire up the yokels, right? I mean, just uh, do it and then uh, tell them when it's done. News media is complicit in this. Either they don't have the people or the insight to be able to report on this, or they agree with the actions and know that if they report it, it'll just cause problems. This is in Colorado I want to talk about. Those of you not in Colorado should keep your eyes open because this coming from many different states now, most of the blue states. Colorado is introduced some legislation to ban many semi-automatic rifles and pistols. Now, here's what I wrote on the website. And you can read what I wrote, and I, I derived this from two or three sources that could put it together. That the Colorado Democrats in the legislature, led by Representatives uh, Elizabeth Epps and Tim Hernandez, introduced a bill, the bill's number, just for your reference, House Bill 24-1292. It will significantly restrict semi-automatic firearms, posing a ban on approximately 200 models. Not only specific firearms, but also categories. So it's very ambiguous, which is a terrible thing in a law, particularly when people are going to misuse it. And the articles I read pointed out that Epps and Hernandez are also members of the Democrat Social, Democratic Socialists of America. So that they've got that going for them. Now, their justification for this is they want to address the role of assault weapons in high-capacity magazines and mass shootings, and that these things just don't belong in society, right? The weapons of war argument. Really big fines for violation of this. And so the manufacture, sale, transfer, all of these kinds of weapons, and you can guess pretty much what they are, uh, pretty much all semi-automatic sporting rifles that we think of, ARs, AKs, uh, anything with a handle, might be black, might be scary looking, all of those. And so uh, they also mention uh, rapid-fire trigger activators. There you go. But then so people had said, well, if this passes, what about all the dealers out there that still have these firearms and now they can't get rid of them? Well, they thought about that, too. They lay out a, a little plan so that they can sell these firearms to out-of-state buyers or just to peace officers. So they, they took care of that. It's not the only one out there, by the way. Uh, they're also trying to get some other gun control measures in this legislative session. They want to put category codes on credit cards, just like California. So that when you buy a firearm purchase or ammunition or things like that, it is noted by a specific code on the transaction with your credit card. Now, why do you suppose they want to do that? They think it's important that Visa or MasterCard knows what you're doing? No. What it means is that if they can get access to that information, then they're able to do something, and this is just this is unconstitutional. I don't know. It's, and it's happening more and more this last couple of years. They are asking the private companies to do something that they cannot do themselves, which is create a registry of firearm owners and purchases, and then get it from them. This is undoubtedly what's going to happen. So they want that. And then they're also coming after uh, your concealed weapons permits in the sense that they're putting all sorts of more requirements on them, 
in-person training that you have to exhibit, in other words, range firing, uh, you have to pass a test, you'll have to uh, engage in, you know, sort of continuing education on this. And one of the things that you have to be taught is how to de-escalate situations without using force, or deadly force anyway. And also they want to push you into uh, that firearm purchasers should have to have mandatory liability insurance. So that's out there right now. Now, I don't want to hear, after this goes rumbling through, if some of this should pass, that nobody did anything. We have such a thin number of Republicans in the state legislature now. I mean, we are less than, I think, what is it, like 42 to 19? I can't remember what it is, but we're way behind in the House. The Senate is a little closer, but they're still a problematic number. So really, if you want to stop this, probably the best place to do it is contacting your state senator. Because that's, I think, the place where it's going to get a little stickier. You remember in 2013, people in the state of Colorado removed some of these characters in the state legislature. They recalled them when they were trying similar stuff. Obviously, they're not afraid of that anymore. But still, if you don't do anything, if you don't make your feelings known, then it's for sure going to go. So get a hold of your senator or your representative and tell them that you're not in favor of this and that if they vote for it, you can do everything you can to get somebody else in their job next time around. Once again, that's House Bill 24-1292 is the one we're talking about. There's, you'll be able to find the other ones pretty easy, too. All right. So let's see. A couple of things I want to bring up before the end of the show. Oh, Some people are asking me about uh, Denver and the homeless because, remember, we had uh, the uh, – the caped crusader there from Denver that friend of mine that was on didn't want to give his name out that had a business downtown. We talked about that about a month and a half ago. Well, they've solved the problem now. They spent, uh, I don't know, over a hundred million dollars to get people off the streets. And now Mayor Mike Johnston wants to spend more money to, they've already spent four million dollars sending migrants to other states. But he wants to continue to just pay for all the new arrivals from uh, legal immigration. And he's reducing city services to citizens in order to do it. For instance, they're cutting back on the Department of Motor Vehicles. They're going to cut a day off, uh, well, the hours anyway. Parks and Recreation Services are going to cut about 25%. Uh, community centers are apparently going to be cut back to six days a week from seven. They won't be planting any new flower beds. I mean, that seems like a small thing, but it, it, you know, what's going on? They're also going to cut funding to everything, including even the animal shelters, which of course really gets under my skin because I, uh, I'm kind of a big animal person. I like pets. And, uh, for the most part, many of those pets in this animal shelter are smarter than this mayor. And so everything is going to get cut. And his his approach is, this is a plan for shared sacrifice. This is what good people do in hard situations as you try to manage your way to serve all of your values. What about the value of citizenship? 
What about the value of enforcing laws that have been on the books for, oh, I don't know, 40 or 50 years? What about prioritizing citizens for assistance from their government over non-citizens who are in in here illegally? They're breaking the law by being here. What, what about that? I mean, it's beyond me that you can get up there and say this kind of stuff with a straight face. And apparently... People support that. He was also saying that uh, some the conservative uh, businesses have been talking to him, wondering why they can't hire uh, illegal immigrants or some of these asylum seekers. Well, because it's not legal. That's why. And it's not legal for a very good reason. We have to control who's in this country. We've got to know who they are. And we have to decide if we really want them in the country. I know that sounds mean, but that's the way it is. Very, very disturbing, this attitude. And this high and mighty kind of, oh, this is what we do. No, it's not what you do. Unbelievable. Now, we're still, of course, going to talk just for the last minute or two about this, the uh, Fannie Willis thing in Georgia. What I wanted to bring up was on Friday, she has her father, who used to be a Black Panther, by the way, and was rumored to have been an associate of Angela Davis, uh, testify on her behalf that, oh, yes, they kept all this money around and why this happened and da-da-da-da-da. But apparently that uh, it came out that he helped prepare his testimony with her, present in the same room. Not supposed to do that because the individual who's testifying was under order of the court. These people are supposed to not communicate with others about the case if you're going to be a witness or discuss it with others. Obviously, that didn't happen. So he may strike his testimony. All of us pretty entertaining. Folks, stay out there. Stay involved. Get hold of your representatives. Right, folks, for listening. Talk to you next week. Listen, if you'd like to listen to more and you want to maybe perhaps have someone else listen to our podcast, you can do so either by going right to our webpage, politicalviking.com, or the rickwagnershow.com. Both of me take you there. You can get links right directly to our podcast. Or you can hear our podcast on Podbeam, on iTunes, and Spotify, and a couple others. So you can find us. We appreciate it if you do. And if you've heard the show, you want somebody else to hear it, that's a good way to send it to them. Thanks for listening.